Today we'll be closing out our study of Hebrews, preparing our hearts for our study in Ruth. We'll close out our study looking at the last four verses, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 22 through 25. So if you have a copy of God's word, turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 22 through 25. And we'll be uh, simply titling this final greetings. Uh, the author has some final things to say. Uh, we can pull out some thoughts uh, in each one of the verses. Uh, and that's, you'll see that in the outline. Uh, there are four things that uh, I saw in these four verses. First, in verse 22, uh, we'll see that we're to receive the truth. Verse 23, we'll see that we should seek restoration from those who are separated from us. In verse 24, We'll see that we should be giving and receiving greetings whenever we gather together. And the last thought, the last principle we'll learn from these verses is that we're to seek God's grace for one another. For we cannot live apart from God's grace. We all need God's grace. And what a worthy uh, way to think of one another is to in thinking that God is gracious to us all. God is giving each one of us what is necessary to live the Christian life in this difficult world. That should be constantly in our thoughts and we should be constantly encouraging one another with with that reality. So look at these verses with me, remembering this is God's word. Even though it's the final greeting, even though the writer of Hebrews is closing out this letter, each word, each word here is God's word. People like to look past the greetings and say, oh, you know, this is just something they did in the culture. No, this is God's word. Don't get it mixed up. So let us keep that in mind. This is God's word to us on this day. The writer of Hebrews writes this. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of, of exaltation, of exhortation, excuse me, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is God's word. When we talk about God's glory, we talk about the weightiness of God. Wells said that today God doesn't appear to be weighty. 
he 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 appears to be weightless in the way that the churches are living. The author of Hebrews, he has been concerned about the glory of God revealed in Christ. Revealed in the fact that Christ is the high priest, the great high priest, that he is this, his, his, his atonement sufficiently, uh, uh, it, it sufficiently dealt with the, the sin problem that we had. And, and, and these believers, rather than being impacted by the weight of God's glory revealed through Jesus Christ, they're, they're seeking to turn away from Christ to not be influenced by Christ, to not live for Christ, to not glorify Christ, to live in a way that is not threatening in their society. They were looking to, to turn from Christ. And this should be our greatest concern as believers. This is the blessing of Hebrews, is that it helps us to remember that we are to keep Christ at the center of everything we do. It's real easy. It's real easy to gather, gather and be thinking about ourselves. Christ and all that he is, the writer has revealed Christ and and his glory. He's gone back to the Old Testament and pulled those truths forward. And shown how they apply to us and shown how Christ and all that he is should realign how we live our lives. It, It should who Christ is should be dictating. Everything that we do. Even as we gather together regularly, we, we, we should encourage one another that we serve a risen Savior. <laughs> a Savior who loved us so much that he gave his life on the cross for us. We should encourage one another, particularly in times of suffering. There is no other hope in our suffering other than knowing that Christ suffered for us. There is no other motivation or strength that we will find outside of a crucified Christ. The one who bore upon himself the the, the most heinous sin that anyone could commit. All of our sins were poured upon him. And the solution to all of our Struggles is found in, in you. It's all, it's all about Christ. And we should encourage one another with this truth. And this, this is what the writer of Hebrews has been seeking to do to encourage these Christians who are going through persecution and they're suffering. And because of their suffering, they're tempted to turn away from Christ. He is encouraging them don't turn away, hold to your confidence in Christ. Hold to your confidence in who he is. And we see this even in this final greeting. He is encouraging them. 
he 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 is laying out his his affection for them in Christ. Look at verse 18 with me. And this has been his whole heart the whole time. To receive that they would receive the truth about Jesus Christ. And this should be the heart of of every pastor. A heart that is that is so so saturated, so embraced by Christ and who he is and his love that in everything that 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 they do. And as far as teaching and preaching, that it becomes a, a word of exhortation that the that the the church will receive the truth. And not turn away from it. That's what we'll see in verse 18. Receive the truth. Receive the truth. Look at verse 18 with me. I mean, uh, verse 22 with me. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. The writer closes this letter with tender care and brotherly affection. Because he has had to say some hard things. He's had to say some necessary things. And he he he. He doesn't want to disconnect what he has said away from the affection that he has for these believers. He says, I appeal, I urge, I plead with you, brothers, brothers and sisters. Leon Morris observes here, he says, the, the letter has had its share of rebukes and stern warnings. And the writer now softens the impact a little with this appeal and with the affectionate address brothers. He appeals to them with affection. I appeal to you brothers. Notice in verse 22, he goes on and says, bear with my word of exhortation because Christ is better. Because Christ is better, because Christ is sufficient, and all that I had, had had said to you in this letter, all that I've said is about Christ. So bear with my word of exhortation. Get what I have said. Hear it. Pay attention. Carefully to what I've said about Jesus Christ, because it has been an exhortation. It has been to encourage you. Robert Martin said this word here, bear, it has a sense of listen willingly to. It's a this word bear, bear with my word of exhortation. Bear is a it's a present imperative. It's a command. And what he is saying to these readers is that uh, that that you keep receiving, keep listening, get what I say, hear it, bear it, put up with it. I've said nothing uh, uh, to you, but the truth of Christ. Don't reject it. Don't turn away from it. And this is the temptation that we all face today in the preaching 
of God's word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I think as, as we go on, Timothy is mentioned here because in my mind, Timothy may have been mentoring the writer of Hebrews. A lot of what the writer of Hebrews have had to say, his way of ministering mirrors the way that Timothy ministered and the way that Paul ministered. Matter of fact, he sounds like the Apostle Paul. Some have even said that the writer of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul. And I think because of the because of uh, Timothy and the writer of Hebrews relationship with Timothy, he was being influenced, mentored by Timothy to the point that what Paul passed on to Timothy, Timothy passed on to the writer of Hebrews. And here he 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 is saying something I think is similar to what Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through three. He, uh, the writer says, bear with my word of exaltation. Get it. Put up with it. Don't reject it. In Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through t- uh, one through three, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this. I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says in verse two, preach the word. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel about Jesus Christ. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. And here it is, exhort. The writer of Hebrews calls his letter, this whole letter of Hebrews, a word of exhortation. Paul told Timothy that he he, he's to preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. And then he says this. For the time is coming. When people will not endure. When people will not bear. Same word. For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Is this not what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with with these Hebrew Christians? Haven't he not said that they were drifting away from the truth? They were drifting. They were slowly drifting. He warned them that they were slowly drifting. Paul tells Timothy, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So this is a relevant command for us to receive the truth. To not turn away from it. To keep it on our minds and our hearts. Even when it's a hard truth. Endure it. Meditate upon it. Think about it. Keep it in your mind. Examine your heart. Don't reason it away. Bear with it. Endure when it's sound. When doctrine is sound, endure with it. Hear it. Receive it. Embrace it. Why? Because it's God's word. God's word is, it, it searches the heart and it exposes sin. It's not going to be comfortable all the time to hear God's word. For the person to say, I'm good in light of God's word. Matter of fact, Jane, uh, uh, John talks about the, the fact that if, a, if someone says that they're without sin, they're lying. And this is why the necessity of preaching God's word is given to us in scripture. God's word searches the heart and exposes sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It challenges and convicts 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. It nourishes faith. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2. The, the word of God confronts how you think and live and it reveals to you when you live differently than what God's will is for your life. And it is in those times when we're confronted with God's word and God's word confronts us and it challenges us and it exposes our selfish ambitions and our selfish desires. It is during those times we desire to get out from underneath the word and not endure. We look for some excuse. We start thinking about how the how this word that we're hearing is for somebody else and not us. The writer says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. There are times when the truth can be uncomfortable for us. The writer has taught about obedience and submission. And those kind of things are not readily accepted by everyone today. The writer knows that some people will receive what he has said and others will reject it. And he urges them to not allow the discomfort of what he has had to say to them cause them to reject, dismiss, neglect, or oppose what he has written. Robert Martin says again, he, he adds, he says, an unwillingness to hear the exhortations of God's word or God's servants 
is a sign that one is already far down the road to an evil heart of unbelief and greatly in danger of apostasy. I've always said that the preaching and the teaching of God's word is it's important. Because even today, there may be some of you. That are on the road to apostasy. That you really have a heart, an evil heart of unbelief where you 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 simply are not believing what God is saying in his word. So the writer says, bear with my word, bear with my word of exhortation. This is what it's been. It's been a word of exhortation, even though it may have been uh, confrontational in a sense. It's been an exhortation. It's been to encourage you. The, the, the writer of Hebrews has been a man on a mission, ignited at his heart with a heart that's ignited by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. His heart, he's been on fire for Christ. And he has not compromised the truth about Jesus Christ. He's built up. He's strengthened. He's encouraged. He's confronted. And he's done all of this by not compromising the truth. He hasn't set out to make everyone feel good about themselves or to feel happy. And this is the philosophy that some hold. If we love people, we will not hurt them or offend them. The writer of Hebrews has has written with a genuineness. For the benefit of the souls of those to whom he has written. And he says, there's more that I could have written to you. He goes on and says, for I have written to you briefly. And of course, that's (laughs) the mindset of every preacher. There's more I could say. (laughs) There's always more that I can say to you on this subject. He says, for I have written to you briefly. And and one of the reasons it was brief, because he said in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11, he said, there are some hard things that to explain and that these believers weren't ready to receive those things. Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. And so what he's written was it's been brief. This has been a brief exposition of 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 the truth of christ and so we're to receive the truth look at verse 23 we're to promote restoration you see this in verse 23 where it says you should know that our brother timothy has been released it appears that timothy and the writer hebrews has had an ongoing relationship not only together, but with this church, uh, he he appears to Timothy appears to be companions uh, with the writer, and and the writer wants them to know that Timothy has been released from prison. Uh, Timothy's incarnation and uh, 
his his imprisonment and his release uh incarceration that's what i meant to say timothy's incarceration and release are not mentioned nowhere in the new testament so this is new for us there this is not mentioned anywhere else that timothy was in prison and so we we learn something new about about timothy uh in this letter to the hebrew christians and and news of of timothy's release would have been encouraging uh, to these Hebrew believers because they themselves are experiencing persecution. And, and the news that that uh, perhaps God uh, granted them answer to their prayers for the release of Timothy, it, it will be encouraging to them. Remember that, uh, that the leader has said that these Hebrew Christians were to remember those who were in prison. He's practicing what he's preached. He said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, he says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are, since you also are in the body. And here it is, the, the writer of Hebrews he is revealing that he not only taught others this this truth, he's doing it himself. He knows Timothy. And and not and he not only wants to know, he not only knows Timothy himself, he wants other people to know Timothy. Timothy's in prison. They knew about it because the author wanted them to know about it. You're talking about Christian love here. We're talking about putting the cares and the concerns of others above our own. He goes on, he says, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. If Timothy comes soon, me and him going to come see you. And notice what the writer is doing. He's not there with them, but yet he wants to be face to face with them. He, he wants to see them face to face. He want to teach them. He's been teaching them in this letter, but writing a letter is, is, is not sufficient enough for him. He wants to see them face to face. He want to fellowship with them. Isn't this the same writer that wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? Not to neglect the gathering of yourselves together. Is this the same writer? Yes. He wants to be with them. And, and, and not only that. Look at what he says in verse 24. So he's promo he's he's promoting restoration wanting to bring believers to be together whether or not they attend the same church
verse 24, he says, greet all your leaders. This is a third reference to the leaders of this church. Uh, the mentioning of the leaders of this church. This is the third mentioning of it. And probably there's some issue that this church is having with their leaders. And so he's he's bringing up again and again how they're to relate to their leaders. He's reinforcing their authority in the church. So he says, greet all your leaders. And all the saints. The, the author encourages them to, to, to be a greeting people. And what does it mean to, to greet one another? Why is that important? To, to greet others is to recognize them and to acknowledge that they exist. You would get offended if you said hi to someone and they acted like they didn't hear you. Would you not get offended at that? Have that not happened to you? Someone, you you tried to greet them and they didn't greet you back and you was like, how dare you not say hello to me? We do that with our children. Good morning. And your child don't say good morning back. Oh, you're going to blow a fuse if you're a parent. Why? Because greetings are important. It's an acknowledgement. When someone greets you back, it's an acknowledgement. They, they are acknowledging you. They acknowledge, they're acknowledging that you exist. They recognize the fact that you are a person. And this is a command. This is not a this is not a, a suggestion. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. This is a command. This is not a piece of optional advice. This, this is this is not something that you're free to ignore. As you see fit, greeting others are a command given to you by God. Greet, or he says, greet all your leaders. I greet so-and-so because that's my pastor. This person, I've seen that. This person, they ain't, they ain't my pastor. This person is my pastor. So I, I, I'm going to give all my attention to him. Mm -mm. that's disobedience. He says, greet all your leaders. Oh, sister so-and-so is my favorite. So I'm going to make it my, I'm going to make it all of my, uh, give all of my attention to, 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 to this person. No, he says, greet all the saints. All mean all. All leaders, all saints, we should strive to do this every time we meet together. He says, another implication about this, greet all your leaders and all the saints. 
it means that no matter what position they hold, you're to greet them. The, the qualification for your greeting is that they're saints. This, this is the only qualification. Every believer is a saint. And if every believer is a saint, we're to greet all the saints. If someone is a believer, then you're to strive to greet them. You should make every effort you can to greet everyone. Of course, this is can be difficult. But that is to be our intentions when we gather together for fellowship. Is that I want to greet everyone. Not just those who are in your circle. Every believer that you come across, you, you're to greet them. That's why I appreciate Mr. Paul who stands at the door every Sunday and greet everyone that comes in. He's being obedient to the word of God. He's showing that he appreciates everyone, that he desires to serve everyone by greeting them. This is why your pastors stand at the back door, one of them at least, because their desire is to greet everyone that leaves the church. I know some of you go out this door back here. Give your pastors an opportunity to greet you by going out this door. The risen Lord Jesus Christ greeted his doubting disciples. If Christ greeted his disciples, should we not be trying to greet one another? In Matthew 28, verse 9, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus greeted his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, in the upper room, Luke recounts that Jesus greeted his disciples. At the end of John's gospel, Peter and some of the disciples had gone fishing and the Lord Jesus was standing at the other side of the lake and he took the initiative and called out to them and said, friends, they're being dis disobedient. They're trying to go back to something that they were doing in the past. And Jesus didn't just simply ignore them. Hey, what are you doing? He greeted them. Even after Christ was risen, even after the disciples had rejected him, they had forsaken him, they had fled. He came to them in love and spoke words of friendship and peace with them. 
So if Christ was greeting his disciples, even those who fled and turned their back on him in his greatest need, we should be doing the same. We should be greeting one another as the opportunity presents itself. And the writer goes on and says, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Christ's church is more significant than any one congregation. It's not, all of, it's not only about this congregation and the body of Christ. The body of Christ is bigger than this congregation. And the writer understands that. He says, and he, he, he informs them that, that those who, who come from Italy, they, these believers, they send you greetings. They say hello. And Paul did this numerous times in his letters. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Verse number 10. Matter of fact, go back to verse number 7. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is my beloved brother and faithful ministry and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. For what purpose? To tell them about what he's doing. He says that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is uh, justice, there are only uh, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis, other churches, other believers. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. You hear all this greeting? All this desire to inform others? As does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. 
and say to uh, Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. All of this love going back and forth between Paul and the men that he ministered with. This writer of Hebrews is imitating the same thing. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. So when we come to church, we should at least greet one person. Strive as much as we can to be a greeter. And then the last thing the writer says, grace be with you, be with all of you. This is in the last verse, verse 25. After offering greetings from himself and from others, after exhorting, uh, letting these believers that what he has written has been an exhortation to them, after desiring to bring about restoration and a relationship that, that they had with Timothy, after commanding uh, these believers to greet others, he closes with what is needed to do all that he has commanded throughout Hebrews. We need God's grace. God's grace, God's favor, God's spiritual blessing. He says, be with all of you. In a sense, he's saying, may God continue to be gracious to you. We all need God's grace. We all need God. We need we need God's grace to live an obedient life to Jesus Christ. And that's the tension. That's the tension that we live with in the Christian life. The one who wills to do good, we find that evil is present with us. At, at all times, even when we want to do good, evil is right there with us. And what we need most of all in the Christian life is God's grace. Because I can tell you, you can't do it on your you can't do it in your own in your own strength. Matter of fact, you do not want to do it apart from God's grace. The writer has made this known. He has just said to these believers in his benediction, this disclosing benediction, he had just said, we covered this last week, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good, why? Why does God give you everything good? He equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. 
What is God doing in us as believers? Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Working in us to will and to do his perfect pleasure. And if God is not doing that, if we look to ourselves, beloved, we're we're not going to want to do God's will. God's will simply becomes my will and what I want to do. And we need God's grace. We, 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 we are saved by God's grace. We, we can approach the throne of grace. We're, we're kept by grace. We're strengthened by grace. We're enabled to obey by grace. We're, we're, we're enabled to will and to do God's perfect pleasure by grace. We learn to trust God by grace. And I don't know about you, but every moment of the day, I need God's grace. Because I'm a booger. Because I recognize like the Apostle Paul, I want to do good. But there's evil present with me. And because of this, there are times where my intentions are not what they're supposed to be. There are times where my desires and my wants are not what they're supposed to be. And it's in those moments that the cross of Christ it's, it, it's in those times where, where the cross of Christ breaks me afresh again. This is why you're not to live for yourself. I've made a, I can look back on my life. I've made a mess of many things in my life. Because I tried to live by my own strength. And I need God's grace every moment of the day. Because if I don't have his grace, I can't live. I can't can't live the Christian life if I don't have God's grace. And you can't either. So the writer says, grace be with you, with all of you. God's grace. And so as we close out this letter, the writer has his desire has been to encourage these believers to persevere in the faith in a hostile world. This entire letter has been an exhortation to hold to Jesus, to 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 embrace Jesus and and and, and his high priesthood as being better than the the old covenant and the old priesthood. 
And the writer says, you must pay a, clo a close attention to all that I've said. And remind yourselves of the practical truths that I have given in this letter. Because, beloved, when you depart from faith in Christ, when you don't embrace and obey the basic theological and ethical teachings that is given to us in Scripture, you're on a dangerous path. When a person turns from Christ and his sufficiency to uh, another, another religious system, like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness, that's, 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 that's a tragedy. And they've committed the sin of apostasy. And the book of Hebrews, this letter of Hebrews, warns us against that. Now, turning away from Christ. Turning away from Christ to any other religious system. And as we close, I pray that God would help us to heed the truth of Hebrews. I pray that this is not the only time that you go through this letter, that, that you would go through again on your own and study it for yourself. Because it's all about Jesus Christ. It's hard reading, but it's all about Jesus Christ. And do you not want to know Christ? Do you not want to know Christ and his preeminence. So thank you, Father, for this study. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be a blessing to our hearts. And Father, we ask that you would take these words of exhortation and apply it to our heart in every way for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen.